we're not humans. We are humans accompanied by trillions of microbes in every orifice. And the, the crazy thing is, as you know, is all the organs we thought were sterile are not. They're teeming with microbes. Resetters, Dr. Mindy here, and I am on a mission to teach you just how powerful your body was built to be. This podcast is about giving you the power back and helping you believe in yourself again. Let's jump in. On this episode of the Resetter Podcast, I bring you another amazing profound thinker, Dr. William Davis. Now, I want to tell you that one of the things that I love about podcasting is getting to speak with authors that I have admired for years, and Dr. Davis is one of them. His original work and and what he was known as was his book, Wheat Belly. And prior to, you'll hear it in this conversation, prior to Wheat Belly coming out, I was living a gluten-free, wheat-free life. It it really helped me from a, a, a chronic fatigue diagnosis that I was given is to pull wheat out. And when his book came out, everybody started to understand the impact that this new style of wheat was causing on not just our gut health, but our energy levels and our brain health. He then went on and and the second book I loved was called Undoctored. And it was all about giving the power back to the patient and how we often know more on our condition than the doctors we're interacting with. And I just loved that book. Well, he now has a book called Super Gut and he is changing the way we look at the microbiome. As you all hopefully know, I'm very passionate about giving you solutions that are easy to implement, that are free, that anybody can do. And what you're going to hear in this conversation is he has identified the strains of bacteria to help conditions like SIBO. Now, if you're not familiar with SIBO, SIBO is uh, a bacterial imbalance in the small intestine. It stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And what's so interesting about SIBO is it doesn't just cause gut problems. It causes mental health problems, energy problems, weight loss resistance, diabetes. You'll hear everything that he lays out that SIBO is causing. And to date, we have not had a good solution for SIBO. You can talk, you can put a thousand doctors in a room of all backgrounds and they will tell you it's very difficult to solve SIBO. But Dr. Davis figured it out and it's in a yogurt that he's using. And what's really exciting about this yogurt is that we can all make it at home. Now, it would be easy to listen to that and think it's too simple, but what I want you to do is make sure you listen all the way through this podcast because he talks about not only how to make it, he talks about other things we can do with different bacteria, even going into things like salsa, how we can ferment salsa, different drinks we can make. And I'm really excited to use his concepts as a way we can all uh, enter into our eating windows post-fast. So you're going to hear me talk to him about, can we break a fast with this yogurt? Um, why this yogurt is more powerful than a probiotic and what the impl- implications of this yogurt is on our mental and physical health. Unbelievable conversation. I, I, I've never brought you a conversation like this. So I am so excited. Dr. William Davis, as always, if you love it, go buy his book, share a review and share this out into the world. Microbial health is where the new paradigm of healthcare is going to. And after this discussion, I hope you grasp that. And as always, I hope it helps you on your health journey. Enjoy. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. 
So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash reset academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled. And let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. Okay, well, we're going to jump right in. And for starters, let me just welcome you to the podcast. I, I really have been such a fan of your work. You have put out books that have changed the way people think, which I, as an author, I feel like is so important. So not only am I welcoming you, but I just a huge thank you for the work you're doing. So oh, happy to you. have this conversation with you. Thanks for saying so. You know, I have, yeah. I, and I know, you know, you, when you're putting a lot of content out there and you're on a mission, sometimes you, you lose sight of the impact you're making. Maybe not, maybe that's not happening to you, but I, you're, when you put wheat belly out into the world, I was already gluten-free um, and I had used a gluten-free diet to really heal myself from Epstein-Barr virus. Mm. And when you, I, I was, I was recommending gluten-free diets to people and everybody thought I was crazy until your book came out. <laughs> so I want to start by saying thank you. I hope you know that that book transformed the way people looked at gluten. Do you, do you look at it that way? I, I think so. You know, we still have lots of work, you and me, to do to educate people what that means and why, because as you know, prevailing opinions are completely opposite. You know, you must eat healthy whole grains yeah. every meal, every snack. It's so we've had it, we made a dent in it, but there's still tons of people who are skeptical, think it's nuts, don't believe it, or have some other reason for not doing it. And yet, as you and I know, it is the key. It, it's the first step, a big first step in regaining health. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for saying that because we are going to go into your new book, Super Gut, and talk about fermented foods. But I, would you say before we launch into that, the most important thing for gut health is to pull these offensive foods out like gluten? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no question. Because you could eat all the... You could eat all the L Ruderi yogurt you want, but if you're still toxifying yourself with gluten, you're not going to make much progress. Is that is that a good way to look at it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. The second thing I have to tell you uh, is that one of my favorite books of all health books of all times is Undoctored. Oh, <laughs> I, I love I love that book. I you know, and let me tell you why because. I use it to empower patients and people mm. to really stand up to their doctors because what I gathered from that book is you really made it clear that somebody who might have a thyroid problem, um, they may know, and they've researched and Googled the heck out of it, they may know more about that thyroid problem walking into their doctor's office than their doctor may actually know. Do you, do you feel like that still is true and exists? I think it's becoming more and more true every day as I don't know why, but people are educating themselves, being informed, collaborating, conversing about these things while my colleagues continue to bury their heads in the sand. And then what kills me is how they can often uh, deliver misinformation with absolute authority and then belittle you. Yeah. Did they, you consult Dr. Google again? Yeah. You know? So yeah, I don't think it's going to change in the foreseeable future, probably generations from now as the current crop yeah. of docs pass away, you know, replaced by, I hope, more <laughs> open-minded people who embrace uh, information. 
But yeah, it's not gotten a whole lot yeah. better. And in fact, the 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 yeah. big pharma is out of control. You know that uh, uh, yeah. doctored was the book that earned me a blacklisting from all media, major media. Oh really? Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I thought it was me at first, but That's it's crazy. not. It's all of us now. It's you, me, anybody with wow. any kind of an agenda or a book about health or nutrition. So, you know, you and I used to be able to watch like, you know, CBS this morning or one of these other shows. And you'd see a book author on health, you know, once a week or so, some regularity or an in-depth expose of some issue in healthcare. Uh, zero now. Nobody's talked about health. nutrition. In fact, I had a publisher say to me, you know, if we can't make money publishing books on health, maybe we won't publish books on health. Isn't that something? What? That's yep. crazy. That's yep. crazy. Yeah. Which, which I've thought about this a lot because, you know, in my younger years, I was very focused on how can we overturn big food? How can we overturn big pharma? And I agree with you that we've now entered a time where those industries are so profit driven. They're so integrated into the political system. There's no way we're going to unturn that. So the only thing we can do is empower the individual. Yep. Don't you think? I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. We got to get in through the back door. And, yeah. And and so those of you that are listening, as as we go through gut health, as, we, as what I love that Dr. Davis is putting out there right now is some really good food-based ideas on what we can do to change our microbiome. You know, we have to take our own power back because it's not going to happen. The days where we would walk into our doctor's office and expect to get all the proper answers is no longer uh, amongst uh, uh, something we're living in. Do, would you agree? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's dive into super gut. Why did you write this book? Let's start with that. You know, I always am curious from an author perspective, what motivated you to write the book? Well, I saw the wonderful results of people engaged in what I call the wheat belly lifestyle. That is elimination, of all wheat grains and sugars and addressing common nutrient deficiencies, not because of the diet, but because of the modern habits. So magnesium, mm-hmm. for instance, because by necessity, we have to filter our water of sewage and other things. And so water filtration removes all magnesium. So we all start with severe magnesium depletion. Iodine, particularly in the Midwest, uh, what used to be called the goiter belt mm. for lack of iodine. So we get iodine because people are cutting back on salt. They're not getting their iodine from iodized salt anymore. Uh, omega-3 fatty acids because nobody wants to eat brain anymore. That's the primary source in addition to fish. That has mercury, shellfish that has cadmium. So we're stuck with this ultra-refined product called fish oil capsules. And then vitamin D because we live indoors. So that collection of things, the diet, those four nutrients that, by the way, when put together, synergize to reverse or minimize insulin resistance and inflammatory uh, phenomena. So it really worked. But I saw people do things mm-hmm. like this. Oh, my, my, I've lost 73 pounds. My waist is eight inches smaller. I don't have hypertension anymore. My type 2 diabetes is gone. But I'm still intolerant to nightshades <laughs> or, uh, or to histamine-causing food, uh, containing foods, or FODMAPs, or fructose, or some intolerance. Or they had some residual problem, like my rheumatoid arthritis is 70% better. I'm off the biologic. It's saving me mm-hmm. several thousand dollars a month in copays. I'm off the prednisone, but I'm still having to take naproxen now and then for occasional flares. Why is that? And so I saw some residual problems. And I, I went, why? And by the way, this was in spite of the basic program having a multi-species high-potency probiotic and prebiotic fibers. So even though people made mm-hmm. those minimal efforts for their microbiome, so I, I, I want to know if the microbiome, if I dug further, would we find answers. And lo and behold, yeah, there's a ton of answers and there's a ton of new insights coming out in the microbiome now that I cringe to think hmm. what we didn't know just a few years ago. Now, as right. we uncover all the incredible things going on in the microbiome. Yeah. You know, I get questions a lot about like, you know, what's the best, best foods for the microbiome? How do you help SIBO? These are the things, kind of things that we're going to talk about. Um, but what, one of the, the things that I've thought about deeply is the food allergies. You, you talk, you speak of those, like how, how many food allergies we have now. If we stop and think about it, like I didn't, 
there was, I don't know any kids at my elementary school that had a peanut allergy. I, we didn't talk about gluten allergies. We didn't talk about all the bazillion allergies we have now. Do you feel like that's because of what you just said, where our foods are not giving us the same nutrients and that we've got so many toxins in our water, so many antibiotics that people are taking? What, what is causing all those allergies? So it's from a disruption of the composition of the gastrointestinal microbiome. You know, all the things you and I and your audience have been exposed to, like common antibiotics, amoxicillin, azithromycin, et cetera, wipe out literally hundreds of different species in the, in the gastrointestinal tract, in the colon. Well, once you wipe out the good guys, some of the fecal organisms start to proliferate, E. coli, Cyprobacter, Klebsiella. They proliferate. The odd thing is they also, and this surprised me, I, I was really taken by surprise when I started to think about SIBO, as you know, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm -hmm. So fecal organisms proliferate in the colon, then ascend up to 24 feet of small bowel. Mm -hmm. And fecal microbes in the small bowel are extremely inflammatory. And when they die, mm -hmm. they some of their breakdown products enter the bloodstream, as you know, process called endotoxemia. Right. And that's part of the whole process that leads to food intolerances. So the vast, not all, but the vast majority of food intolerances are due to this process, this multi-step process, SIBO, fecal organisms, endotoxemia. And the small bowel is especially susceptible to this because it only has a single layer mucus barrier. It's not suited to have fecal organisms, while the colon has a thick two-layer mucus barrier because that's where all these fecal microbes are supposed to be. So one other name for SIBO is fecalization, is <laughs> the proliferation mm, of fecal microbes in the small bowel. Uh, the, and, you know, what, what convinced me just how widespread SIBO was, was the av availability of this device, the air device. So, yes, uh, yeah. So, as you know, you blow into it. It's a real time sensor for hydrogen. gas. You know, unlike the stuff that some people do in their clinics or labs where you have to capture breath or hydrogen in a tube, mm -hmm. well, a very perfect yep. process. Hydrogen gas is the smallest molecule there is. You got to cap it really fast. And even then the gas escapes. So conventional testing for SIBO is, is flawed. Uh, and it tends to underestimate mm. severity. So I think, I think this air device is an improvement over, because it's a real time mm. sensor. You blow directly, you put your mouth on, you blow directly into it. Um, and what surprised me though, was, when I started talking about this and thousands of people started testing themselves was that it was the exceptions who tested negative. Now we could question the validity mm. of the test, except that what I saw happen was people would test positive. By the way, the instructions that come with the device are not right. I, I did call the inventor, Dr. Mm. Angus Short. He's a, a scientist. He's an engineer in Dublin, Ireland. And I said, Angus, I, I know you invented this for people with IBS, Euro bowel syndrome on a low FODMAPS diet. I said, but that's not really what this is. I'm telling the inventor what he invented. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's really, funny. <laughs> it's really a mapping device. You can use it to map mm. where microbes are. You use time and you can tell where they are. So oh, now he knows they're trying to change the, the labeling and instructions, but because he has some regulatory hurdles to get over. Um, but that is how you use it. You use it, you consume some of that bacteria metabolize we use inulin uh because it's broadly okay. metabolized by multiple species of SIBO and then you yeah. time how fast you turn positive zero to ten let's say you start at 1.2 if it jumps to nine that's positive a jump of right. uh, four would be positive yeah so yeah. when I started having people do this I was shocked now even better people would take some steps to eradicate their SIBO and they would test negative and they would say things like, mm. I finally broke my weight loss plateau, or my rheumatoid arthritis is now gone, or my hemoglobin A1C that dropped from 12.7%, terrible, to 6.1%, much better, but still terrible, <laughs> is now 4.8%. Right. I saw all those residual problems go away. So is this a test that that is accessible to everybody? Is it an easy test to do? It is easy. It's easy to use. So the instructions on the actual use of the device are okay with the, the instructions that come with it. But the interpretation, how to use the timing fa factor is in my super gut book. And, and perhaps in future when Angus Short catches ah. up, he'll 
put it in the device itself. But right now, I have the full instructions. So the key here is you consume something that bacteria metabolize. So in the lab, they use lactulose, usually a non-digestible sugar. Hmm. We use inulin. Mm-hmm. Because inulin has, in other words, what if you, you choose a sugar or a carbohydrate that only some microbes consume, but not the ones you have? Hmm. You'll test negative. So I picked the, uh, the um, prebiotic fiber or carbohydrate that has the widest species can metabolize, can metabolize this thing. So we chose inulin. So typically two, two teaspoons of inulin, like in your cup of your coffee, a cup of coffee or something. So test baseline, consume your inulin, then test every 30 to 45 minutes. If you test positive, a rise of four units within the first 90 minutes, you've got SIBO. After 90 minutes yeah. up to 180 minutes, three hours, it's not quite clear because that could be distal ileum SIBO or it could be just yeah. normal colonic fermentation. So that's where some judgment is required. So if, if somebody says, you know, I tested, I, I went positive at uh, 110 minutes or whatever. Is that positive? Uh, well, typically it's not regarded as positive. But what if the person says, but, you know, I have, I've had diarrhea unexplained for years. And I have panic attacks or I have rosacea, or restless leg syndrome, or polymyalgia, uh, I'm sorry, or um, (laughs) fibromyalgia. In other words, conditions that are extremely highly associated with SIBO. Even with a negative test, I would say you've got SIBO. So there's some judgment also involved. Is is there a way symptom-wise for for our audience that might not know what SIBO is, but might be suffering from the symptoms of SIBO? How would... How would we even start that conversation for somebody to understand if they had it? So there are what I call telltale signs, like fat malabsorption. If you see fat droplets in the toilet or fat staining Mm. where the water meets the porcelain, uh, or you have food intolerances, or conditions virtually Mm. synonymous with SIBO. So irritable bowel syndrome is, is almost synonymous with SIBO, as is fibromyalgia, restless leg syndrome, uh, all neurodegenerative and autoimmune conditions, highly associated with SIBO, fatty liver, very highly associated, obesity, type 2 diabetes, mm. at least 50% of all people have SIBO. The curious thing, though, is if we look back at all the studies that have been done, for instance, if we take several hundred people with irritable bowel and ask how many test positive for SIBO, those studies vary anywhere from 12 to 84%, but typically about 40% will test positive. Uh, But if you look at those studies and look at how many people among the healthy controls also test positive, it's anywhere from a few percent to 44 percent. In other words, normal ain't normal anymore. So even healthy controls test positive. Mm. Oh, my gosh. I I would say in in my clinical work, I feel like everybody's got some version of SIBO. And I would even throw into that anxiety. A lot of mood disorders are associated with SIBO. Are you are you seeing that as well? Yeah, good point. Anxiety, depression, panic attacks. Yeah, very high proportion. There's an interesting series of studies, um, some done in Germany, uh, asking this question. How come some people don't respond to antidepressants? Antidepressants are stupid. But anyway, but what yes. the question is asked. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> Why do some people don't yeah. respond at all? Well, it's been de- determined that people who don't respond to antidepressants have higher measures of inflammation, higher C-reactive protein, higher IL-6, IL-1 beta, mm. etc. And so, of course, Big Pharma steps in and says, let's give them expensive biologics for $10,000 a month mm. to address the inflammation. Of course, that's ridiculous. So this German group asked this question. They said, what happens if we inject that endotoxin from from the SIBO organisms, let's take a little bit of that lipopolysaccharide endotoxin, minuscule amounts, and inject them into non-depressed people, which is really daring because if you miscalculate a little bit, you kill the person. So I don't know how they got this through their institutional review board, but they did. (laughs) So they injected this endotoxin into the bloodstream of these non-depressed people, and they became clinically depressed within three hours and they performed MRIs and that showed all the hallmarks of depression. In other words, LPS endotoxin from SIBO now has been conclusively shown to be a major contributor or cause 
for depression. Now, what proportion of depression? Yep. No one knows. No one's done that study, but it's probably a lot. And of course, that won't respond yeah. to some stupid drug to increase serotonin. Right. Well, did you see the um, the meta analysis that came out in uh, molecular psychiatry this this summer? Uh, it basically looked at several different studies on uh, SSRIs and said that depression is no longer a singular thing. They do not believe that it's a serotonin reduction because they have plenty of people who have low serotonin and are happy. Other people that go on antidepressants to raise their serotonin and they're unhappy. So I, I think that whole world of antidepressants hopefully is being blown apart, um, hopefully. So, and I know a lot of people believe they, they help, but a lot of times they help temporarily. Don't you, don't you see that? If at all. Yes, exactly. They are a miserable class of drugs, uh, famous for their ineffectiveness. No, no question at all. Yeah. You know, I, I find yeah. a great illustration of the power in a negative way. Uh, the power of the microbiome in addressing emotions is when you uh, try to eradicate the microbes, you get this die-off reaction, which, as you know, is, can be profound depression, nightmares, yes, panic attacks, anxiety, irrational behavior. So, I mean, it's but it's a vivid illustration of the effect that microbes can have their their breakdown products can have on on brain, on the brain and, and emotions. Yeah. So, what do we do if we if we think we have SIBO? What, what's our first step? Let's just say we're listening to this. We, we resonate with all those symptoms or we do your air device test, which I can't wait to go research. Um, and we get this clear idea that we have SIBO. What's our first step to fixing that? What I've been doing is, uh, so I, I asked a bunch of questions. What if I just took a commercial off the shelf probiotic? That is a haphazard collection of microbes, no rhyme or reason. There's not a reason why they combine specific microbes. Uh, will my SIBO go away? No. <laughs> right? It can reduce the symptoms sometimes, like some less diarrhea, perhaps less cramps and bloating. But it doesn't really eradicate the SIBO in most cases. So I ask these questions. What if we chose species that colonize the upper GI tract? That's where SIBO occurs. And what if we chose right. species that produce bactericins? These are natural antibiotics effective against the species of SIBO. So I picked three. Mm. I, picked, I picked Lactobacillus gasseri, the BNR17 strain, upper GI colonization, up to seven bactericins. So it's a bactericin powerhouse. I chose Lactobacillus rotari. Okay. The DSM17938, and the, I'm sorry about these, you know, these strain designations are nuts. And the no. PTA six four seven five strain, uh, and I and also upper GI colonizer produces up to four uh, bactericins. So powerful, by the way, my microbiologist friends say, you know, we use Rotary to clean our fermentation vats. I didn't believe them at first, but they do. <laughs> That's how wow. effective an antimicrobial wow. it is. And then I threw in Bacillus coagulans, the GBI thirty six zero eight six strain. Now these are all commercially available. Despite the wacky strain designations, we ferment them, but we don't. It looks and smells like yogurt. It's yogurt. It's not yogurt. So when we buy yogurt at the store, it's been fermented for about four to six hours. We ferment for thirty-six hours, and the reason for that is like oh, wow. water, for instance, doubles every three hours. Of course, microbes don't have sex. There's no mommy and daddy microbes. They just double. So water, <laughs> yeah. doubles every three hours. At 100 degrees Fahrenheit, well, in four to six hours, you've got nothing. So we do 12 doublings, mm. we perform flow cytometry on these yogurts, and we're getting something like 250 to 300 billion counts per half cup serving. And so far, now this is anecdotal, but 40 people have done this for four weeks, a little longer than antibiotics, and then tested negative after testing positive at baseline. So, so far, now we'll do a formal clinical trial probably uh, in collaboration with uh, Dr. Angus Short in Dublin, but we'll do a formal clinical trial in future to prove. But so far, but you know, if, if the solution I'm proposing is a total colectomy <laughs> or exploratory laparotomy, right. well, we better be damn certain right, what we're doing. But what if the solution right. is kind, kind of like a yogurt? So. It's a yogurt. I was just going to say, it's so unsexy, but uh, it's amazing because you can do it at home, right? Yeah. 
And, you know, I, I, I kind of regret calling it SIBO yogurt because it makes it seem like it's just for SIBO. It's actually those, certainly the gasteri and the ruteri are keystone species. That is, they're very mm-hmm. important species that, by the way, we have almost all lost. So they're extremely good antimicrobials, mm-hmm. those two species. But they're also very susceptible to common antibiotics. So, you know, uh, mm-hmm. if we were to test the squirrels and the rabbits and the other creatures out, they all have rotary. If we were to test indigenous populations, like the people who live in the jungles of New Guinea or jungles of uh, South America, like the Yanomami, or all those indigenous hunter-gatherer populations, they all have rotary and gasteri. We Almost none mm. of us have it anymore. So replacing them is extremely helpful. So I'm now drifting over time to the idea that, yes, use the SIBO yogurt at first to normalize your SIBO and then continue to do it with some regular, maybe every third day or something like that. Because I think those two microbes, the loss of them is probably a big part of the reason why there's so much SIBO in this world. I think easily one in two people have, have SIBO. I think because of the loss of these microbes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would agree uh, in what we're seeing. It's just the, the microbiome is so decimated by the by big food and big pharma. I mean, it's just totally. And so all these strange things are appearing. And what I love about this yogurt is that it's, it's anybody can do it. And it, we can't, we got to make health simple. So explain to me the difference. You have a L-Ruteri yogurt and then you have a SIBO yogurt. Is the SIBO yogurt just an extension of L- L-Ruteri? Because mm-hmm. I, I saw a lot of great art. You had a great, like great community talking about your L-Ruteri yogurt about three years ago, two years ago. Uh, it was all over your website. So it, how would you choose one or the, over the other? So the Ruteri, so the, the SIBO yogurt is just good for cleaning up your bowels because of those properties, upper GI okay. colonization, bacteria and production. The Reuteri specifically, you can do it as part of the SIBO yogurt, or you can do it separately. When, when you monoculture something by itself, you get bigger numbers. So in the SIBO yogurt, you probably get about mm-hmm. 80 billion per species. But if you want a real wallop, you can just uh, cultivate the Reuteri. And that's where you see things like, so in addition to upper GI colonization and bacteria production, it also sends a signal via the vagus nerve to release the hormone oxytocin. And so people experience Yay. things like greater intensity of affection for other people. They become more generous. They, the part I love mm. is they're more accepting of other people's opinions. So you get mm, along better with your coworkers. That. But there's a bunch of uh, physical effects that also occur that have only recently been recognized. Ladies love it because there's an explosion in dermal collagen and the wrinkles uh, Mm. throughout your body start to be reduced. Ladies say they stop using moisturizing creams because you're so moist from the sebum production. They don't need to use moisturizers anymore. Guys love it because there's a restoration of youthful muscle and strength. A dramatic effect, by the way. Uh, I love it because I'm a chronic insomniac and now I sleep straight through full eight, nine hours every night, vivid dreams. There's an increase in libido. Crazy. Guys experience uh, an increase in testosterone. So if you're an older guy like me, you can have a youthful level of testosterone restored. Ladies love it because it also increases libido and also reverses vaginal atrophy. That, as you know, afflicts many Which ladies. is huge for men, yeah. menopausal women. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's preservation and of bone s- density, acceleration of healing. In other words, so my thought, my start thing was, wait, wait, acceleration of healing, deeper sleep, smoother skin, greater muscle, increased libido. We're turning the clock back <laughs> 10, 20 years. And that's what right. we're seeing in people who do this. So the Rotori is that was the first crazy. microbe I played with. I just happened to stumble on this incredibly powerful microbe. Yes. And and so just so I, I followed the El Ruteri uh, craze of on your on your website and people talking about it for a couple of years, just so we kind of 
fill the audience in. What does this look like to make this yogurt? Because again, if we go back to where we were in the beginning of this conversation, we've really overcomplicated health. And what you're doing is giving a very simple answer, but not everybody knows how to make yogurt. So is is that, can you walk us through like what this would look like to make this and how often we would want to eat it and when we want to eat it? So I'll use rotary as the example, because that's kind of the prototype. Because, you know, in addition to rotary, yeah. you can ferment other microbes. You can ferment, let's say, bacillus coagulants. That also reduces arthritis pain and accelerates recovery from heavy exercise. Or bifidobacter infantis, that if you give this to a newborn, it sleeps through the night, has 50% fewer bowel movements that are formed, 50% fewer diaper changes from mom and dad. Um as an older child, less prone to asthma, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and has a higher IQ. So you, you can ferment different microbes for specific effects. But Rotary is kind of the prototype example. So we need to source the microbe. We're currently sourcing it as a commercial product called a BioGaia gastrus, G-A-S-T-R-U-S. Uh, now, here, here's something right. to know. This, this is tedious. So I apologize to your audience. This is kind of tedious. But when you play with yeah, microbes. No <laughs> you have to pay attention to strain. Easy illustration. Yes. So I have E. coli. Everybody in your audience has E. coli. But what if you ate lettuce contaminated by cow, contaminated by cow manure with E. coli? Well, you can die of that E. coli. So same species, different strain. So we have to pay attention to strain mm-hmm. to some degree when we play with microbes. Now, the strains we're using are the two strains that come in that gastrous tablet. Now, we're doing a mouse trial right now comparing different strains. I want to know if there are strains that are better at it. So we have several Mm -hmm. successive studies ongoing with animals to see if there's differences among the strains. So don't know yet, don't have the results yet. Probably in about, I think about a month we'll have the results. Um, So for now, we go with the strains we know work, and that's the BioGaia gastro strains. Problem, they sell it to you as tablets made for babies, so the dose is teensy-weensy. It's 100 million of each, which sounds like a lot, but in microbes is nothing. And that was my motivation for making yogurt. We're going to increase the number of microbes a thousandfold. So when you first start out, what we do is just take the tablet, put them in a baggie, crush them with a mortar or a, with a rolling pin or heavy jar, anything. So they're all crumbled. Put that in a bowl. We add a prebiotic fiber to feed them. It's like putting cow manure on your garden. <laughs> You're going to have bigger tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. So put about a tablespoon yeah. of a prebiotic fiber, like inulin or raw potato starch. You're inex- inexpensive. Uh, I reject the idea that we should limit fat. I think that's stupid. So we mm-hmm. use organic half, 18% fat. So make Beautiful. a slurry first. So everything's suspended, then top it off with the rest. And then you need some device, cover it, saran wrap, whatever. And then keep it in some device at 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Could be a sous vide sticker basin sous vide. Could be a dehydrator. Could be a yogurt maker. Could be an instant pot. Some means of just keeping it at 100 degrees, give or take, for 36 hours. First batch, by the way, tends to separate into curds and whey. It's subsequent batches that are more uniform. Don't know why. Don't know why. Uh, and, mm. and, you know, another interesting thing about these yogurts is they all taste different. So lactobacillus mm. rotary yogurt tastes very different than lactobacillus brevis yogurt. Tastes very different than lactobacillus gastrii yogurt. Tastes very different than the SIBO yogurt. Tastes very different than bifidobacter infantis yogurt. So it's really an interesting little experiment. Uh, but that's what we're doing. And by the way, it doesn't have to be yogurt or dairy. It could be coconut milk. It could be salsa. It could ah. be purees, fruit purees. Salsa. The process of fermentation reduces the sugar content. So it's, it's still perfectly... Uh, compatible with a low carb type lifestyle. There may be some additional steps though, like with coconut milk, um, you don't want to buy cans that have some kind of thickening agent in it, like guar gum. I'm sorry, like uh, xanthan gum or gel and gum or, or carrageenan. That screws it up. So you want just mm. coconut milk. Mm. And then there's a couple extra steps you have to throw in use of a blender. You got to add some guar gum because it tends to separate. So it's very easy, but I, I put all those recipes in the super gut book uh, because I had many failed batches before I learned how to do it the right way. And uh, what about if you add in raw milk? It, it's already got a lot of probiotics and prebiotics in it. Is that you're heating it up? So that's going to die off anyways. Would that affect the, did you test that to see if it affected the strains? Yeah, you have to heat it. 
because it, in case there's even a minuscule quantity of listeria, monocytogenes, or Staphylococcus aureus from the cow's udder, even if there's a little bit, when you ferment, you amplify counts a thousand fold, and you can yeah. actually you can actually die of that yogurt. So it's un, it's unlike. Yes. So no raw milk. So raw, no, don't do raw milk because we have a lot of raw milk fans in this audience. So you're saying don't don't do this yogurt with raw milk. So as your listeners know, there's a little bit of teensy risk by consuming raw milk, but you amplify the risk hugely when you ferment it. That's the problem. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad I asked the question. And, you know, we have a local far, uh, gal at the farmer's market that has fermented salsa. It is the best salsa in the world. So I love that you said we could take these and ferment it in salsa. Do you tell us, just so people understand, in your book, are there ca- are they capsules that you open up and put into this stuff, into the into the salsa and then, then heat it up for 36 hours. Like how do we make sure we're getting the right strain to your point? And especially in the SIBO yogurt, cause we've got multiple different bacteria we're putting in. Correct. Yeah. So with salsa, you're going to have to add some starter. So let's say I want to make bacillus coagulants, mm. uh, salsa. I'll take a capsule of bacillus coagulants and empty it in there. Stir it, of course, cap it. Uh, you want to keep air away from it. So you need some means of, uh, topping it off with something or uh, a little contraption, like a little plate. I use a glass. I, I have like an old olive mm. jar. And I, I have a drinking glass that fits perfectly in the, in the top of it, and it pushes everything down because you don't want air to contact your fermenting foods because that invites mold, f- mm. fungi. And so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and you also want to use, of course, non-iodized salt and filtered water that has no chlorine or fluoride. So, it, but it's an illustration of just how much, how many antimicrobials we're exposed to in this world. And, and of course, yeah, if you ferment, right. one of my favorite things to do, this is real easy for your listeners, is to make sparkling Saccharomyces boulardii uh, juices. It's real easy. So, you, so in case your listeners don't remember, Saccharomyces boulardii is a fungus, and it's probably the most important thing someone can do to preserve the integrity of their microbiome during antibiotics. So let's say you have to take it out because you got some mm. infection. Yeah. Sometimes we need to. Well, if you drink this juice, right. it's the best thing you can do to preserve, to, to minimize the loss of bacterial species. So what we do is just buy any juice, any volume, so long as it doesn't have a preservative like potassium sorbate or sodium benzoate. So any juice, but the pulpier, the mm. better. So apple cider, okay. uh, mango, passion fruit, <laughs> grape juice, whatever. So right. some part of juice empty a capsule of the commercial probiotic Florastore. That's Saccharomyces boulardii, just one capsule. Stir lightly, cap. This one can be exposed to air, but you want to cap it though, but cap it lightly because within 24 hours, you're going to see it bubbling. That's how much fermentation is going mm. on. You'll see CO2, carbon dioxide bubbles. And if you cap it too tightly, you'll actually have an explosion on your hands. Ferment for 48 hours on your kitchen counter. It's going to taste like sparkling juice. If you, if you used apple cider, it's going to taste like apple soda. If you did grape, just going to be grape soda. We only consume a half, I'm sorry, quarter, a half cup of, uh, per serving, maybe twice a day or so, because there is still some sugar. The fermentation process reduces the sugar by 50%, but there's still some sugar, so you want to be overexposed to sugar. But it's a delicious and fun yep. way. It's, it's virtually foolproof to just do this on your kitchen counter. Interesting. And this is your Amazing. way. Amazing. And are all those... Go ahead. This is there you a go. way of taking the low counts in the probiotic they sell you and increasing the counts for, for a greater effect. It is so genius. I just want to tell you, like, I just, I, I love what you've done with this to put it in food and give us the the power to be able to make it on our own. It's, it's just incredible. Are all those recipes in your book? Is that everything you're talking about? So if people want to read more up on it? They all are, except for the Saccharomyces boulardii juice, sparkling juices, because I thought of that only like eight months ago. <laughs> of course, yeah. The problem when you write a book, you, you have to have it ready to go, you know, a year or so before it actually comes out to the world. I get that. I get that. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at home fitness programs. 
And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60 day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, one of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. What, what do you, how do you feel about fasting? So that's my passion. I have a, a book coming out in December called Fast Like a Girl and i um, you know, I've, the research I've seen on fasting is that it's a beautiful way to get some die off of some of these bad bacteria. And I'm wondering if we break a fast with your yogurts, we break a fast with the, with a sparkling. And so you, you're killing the bacteria while you're fasting, but then you're adding the good bacteria in. Have you, have you tried that? And what are your thoughts on fasting? We haven't looked at it formally, but I'm going to bet you're right that this is a way to accelerate the process. The downside of fasting is you kill off bad microbes and good microbes. So there's, it's not, in other words, fasting isn't selective for one or the other. And so doing what you're suggesting as reimplanting the good guys is a really good idea, especially the ones that take up resin, small bowel and produce bactericins. So that's a, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is, I came up with it when I was treating so many SIBO patients, I was like, okay, let's just starve these suckers out. But what I struggled with is to find the right thing to reintroduce. So you just gave me, like, I I can't wait to dive into the book and try the different recipes and then just experiment with that. So those of you that have been following me for a while, let's, let, let's all do that and then give us, give us feedback. Because I look at fasting as just let's wipe the slate clean. And now let's repopulate, kind of like tilling your, getting rid of the old dirt in your garden and then putting new dirt in that can actually, your garden can grow from. That, that's the way I look at it. So how, um, how have you found that and people need a probiotic at all after they do this, this yogurt in your, in your community? You know, as time goes on, I, I think some people view probiotics as the solution and they're not. Unfortunately, the current most, most commercial probiotics are really nothing more than haphazard collections of microbes. So uh, in other Agreed. words, there are a number of things not incorporated. There's no awareness of what are called guilds or consortia of bacteria. So the only person I, the only product I know that does that is a product called Sugar Shift, uh, formulated by my friend, mm. Dr. Raul Cano, who is uh, a 40-year academic microbiologist. And Raul asked this question. Can we get a collaborative group of organisms that, in this case, consume fructose, sucrose, and glucose in the GI tract? And we gave this to 20 people, and it reduced fasting glucose by 9.8 milligrams um, in non-diabetics, which is on a par with metformin with no side effects. Crazy. And so that's, that's an example of a guild or consortium. But I know of no other product that does that, where they actually collab- put together a collaborative guild. Or the counts are too low. So if it's 2 billion or 5 billion, mm-hmm. one of the things we don't have a lot of in the microbial world is dose response evidence. So there, for instance, there's a study mm-hmm. in which Rotori, the 6475 strain was given to ladies versus placebo. And the ladies on Rotori had 50% less bone loss over a year than placebo ladies. That was 10 billion mm. per day. Well, if 10 billion does that, what does 100 billion do? 
Nobody knows. So we, we lack a lot of dose response. Though I think the evidence little by little is inching towards the idea that high counts are what we want, like 50 billion, 100 billion, mm-hmm. maybe even a trillion. I've done that. I've taken a trillion, by the way, of, of rotary on several occasions with no ill effect. Um, and yeah. there's some other, there's a failure to, to include keystone species. If you don't have gastrite, you made a mistake. If you don't have rotary, you made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And so if, if all you're taking, say, is lactobacillus brevis and bifidobacteria longum, that's an incomplete probiotic. So there's a lot of problems with current crop. And then there's all these gimmicks with the probiotics, spore-based. There is no evidence, zero, to tell us that spore-based is superior. That's nonsense. They, the marketing mm-hmm. says things like, well, these, these survive. The spores survive stomach acid and bile. Well, so do the probiotics, too. There may be some declining counts, but they survive. Their rotary, mm-hmm. for instance, is, is perfectly comfortable at a pH of 1.5. Extreme acidity. Crazy. It's sufficient yeah. to burn your finger yeah. off if you put it in. So there's a lot of gimmickry. Yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, uh, one product getting a lot of press that has it's double encapsulated. Well, why would it's double encapsulated so that it releases its microbes into the colon? What about the 160 million people with SIBO? You want release in the small mm-hmm. bowel. So there's a lot of this gimmickry going on. Yeah. There's a recent product that came out. Uh, it's claimed to fame is that it contains 115 species. And I can't tell where it comes from because they're saying it comes from food. Then they say it comes from a human. I don't know. But 115 different species, most of which aren't even labeled properly. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, half of them are what are called proteobacteria, fecal microbes. Mm-hmm. I got to wonder if the FDA is going to clamp down on that one because, and I took it, I got sick. So I can't, I won't say mm-hmm. the name, but it's one that has 115 yep. strains in it, half of which are fecal microbes, proteobacteria. And so there's a lot of gimmickry in the probiotic. It's going to improve, um, as people like yeah. you and you talk about these kinds of things and maybe even formulate some ourselves. Uh, but right now, the last thing on the list that helps restore a microbiome is, is a probiotic. It shouldn't be that way, but it is that way today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, and we've commercialized them now. So everybody thinks that's going to be the solution, right? To their, to their gut problems. So what, what do you think? One thing I've thought a lot about is we've spent so much time in medicine focused on human cells and we're just starting to appreciate the microbiome. Do you feel like that in, in the new health, the way that you and I want to see the healthcare sort of emerge, do we need to sort of look at microbes as having an influence over our, uh, over the human cells and stop trying to manipulate the human cells, but actually work on changing the microbiome to enhance whatever is going on inside our cells? Yeah, you're hitting on a very popular new concept in the world of the microbiome. That is the, the concept of, of the so-called holobiont. That is that mm. we're not humans. We are humans <laughs> accompanied by trillions of microbes in every orifice. Exactly. And the, the crazy thing is, as you know, is all the organs we thought were sterile are not. They're teeming with microbes, the brain, the urinary bladder. You know, mm. I've treated thousands yeah. of urinary tract infections over the years. Cause, and you always think, oh, you want your urine to be sterile. No, you don't. <laughs> you want your urine to be filled with microbes, but the right microbes. There's a really cool conversation yep. going on in the gynecologic world. And that is mm. the uh, urinary microbiome is determined by the vaginal microbiome. Because we can't mm. really directly change the urinary microbiome. There's nothing you can do to change the, uh, uh, directly, but you can change the vaginal microbiome. So some of the new science mm. in the vaginal microbiome shows that a healthy uh, vaginal microbiome is dominated by lactobacillus crispatus and other lactobacillus species. Mm. and is lacking in uh, bacteria like um, Gardnerella vaginalis and adipobium and fecal microbes. Now here's the twist. Mm. One third of all women in the world have the opposite. They have very little lactobacillus crispatus and other lactobacilli, and they have proliferation of Gardnerella and adipobium and fecal microbes, as well as candida and fungal uh, organisms. Mm. A third. And the big risk beyond just irritation, discharge, etc., the big risk is premature delivery of a child in a third of the women in the world. 
And so that sign, and that is the presumptive cause of repeated urinary tract infections, or at least a lot of them. Interesting. Because the in the urine you, is protective. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the vaginal microbiome. I recently have been looking at what the connection between the health of the vaginal area, including the, the cervix, and how it plays out in the other parts of our body. So, for example, in utero, I don't know if you knew this, I, I just recently learned this, that our vocal cords and our cervix originally were of the same tissue, and then they separate out. And they become your vocal cords, they become your, your cervix. And if you look at the tissue themselves, like if you actually go and look at them, uh, Google them, you'll see they look very, very similar. So could you use, you know, the, the yogurts like this? I don't know if you're doing it like as a douche or if you have to just, you just eat it, but could we start to look at the vaginal area, the microbiome as the vaginal area to start to affect all other areas in a woman's body. Do we know anything about that? Yeah, that's a, a, an emerging concept, this idea of crosstalk between species and, and also mm. translocation. So I, I find it remarkable. A woman can take, let's just say, Lactobacillus crispatus. It's t- By the way, when you, when you and I talk about these things, your listeners have to know that sometimes we're talking about the science that has not yet been commercialized. So it's really tough to find mm, lactobacillus well crispatus, but you can. Like Jaro has a, a, a product called Jarodophilus Women, and that does have the crispatus in mm-hmm. it. Uh, so there's going to be mm-hmm. more and more products that do this because there's some hurdles to go through, regulatory and commercial, going from the laboratory to a commercial product. And so there's, there's a delay of typically a couple of years between science and then commercialization. But I find it remarkable. A woman can take, let's say, Lactobacillus crispatus orally, and it will populate her vagina and her bladder. Well, how did it get there? There's no connection that anybody knows of. Well, it's, it's presumptively by contiguity because they're near each other in the perineum. You know, they're real close, so mm-hmm. they somehow share. Yep. So that's also true. It's kind of it's kind of creepy. It's also true of the fecal microbes. So that whole area is, mm. is a big party area. It's got all kinds of stuff being shared. So, but there's also uh, another, a reverse example would be um, 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 Fusobacterium nucleatum. This is a microbe that we all have in our mouths. By the way, the mouth is the second most densely populated microbiome after the colon. So, so think yeah. about that when you kiss your honey. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, one microbe that proliferates yep. is called bacterium nucleatum. And if you have gingivitis or even worse, periodontitis, the populations of fusobacterium go way up. And then it implants itself in your okay. colon, where it's associated with colon cancer. Wow. If I take that microbe, put it in a mouse with a normal colon, it gets colon cancer. If you look at colon cancer from a human that's been taken out, it's filled with fusobacterium. Now, here's the kicker. How did it get from here to colon? Well, swallowing, right? Mm. No, it gets there right. by the bloodstream. Yeah. So crosstalk, it's becoming clear now. Yeah. How about another one? If a woman takes Bifidobacteria infantis, like the Avivo strain, EVC001 strain, that has the best science from UC Davis. Mm-hmm. If a woman takes that okay. microbe, it populates her mammary glands. So that when she breastfeeds her baby, the baby gets it. Well, how did he get from the gastrointestinal tract to the mammary gl- <laughs> But it's become right, clear. Right. Point, there's crosstalk of all sorts going on, good and bad. Yeah. You know, what worries me is there's some uh, some very elegant work from Ruth Alonso's lab in Spain where she, they did something crazy. They took pe- brains of people who died, young people who died in traumatic accidents like car accidents and then stained the brain for fungi no fungi they took the brains of people hmm. who were old but didn't die of dementia moderate fungal infestation they took the brains of people who died of alzheimer's filled like a wyoming sky at night filled with fungi fungus they took it further they looked for fungal proteins and dna in the bloodstream and the cerebrospinal fluid in people through it, filled with fungal proteins and dna and then the real kicker, a Harvard group about two years ago showed that, uh, you know, the stuff that accumulates in people with dementia is beta amyloid plaque. 
And there are drugs mm-hmm. that effectively reduce beta amyloid plaque. There's several of them. And they all make your dementia worse. <laughs> so mm. so the, wow. the, the theory has is, is undergoing change. Maybe beta amyloid plaque is not the cause. Maybe it's a consequence. So this Harvard group looked mm. at the microbial effects of beta amyloid plaque. It's not a very good antibacterial. It's an excellent, potent antifungal. Isn't that interesting? Well, what the hell? It's crazy. Does that mean there's an important subset of people with dementia that's due to fungal infestation? And if so, where did it come from? Well, some people like Dale Bredesen say the sinuses. I say it's the colon. I, I say it's the GI tract. Because as you know, mm. as, as common as SIBO is, CFO, small intestinal fungal, or at least colonic overgrowth of fungi, is also very, very common. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when I listen to you talk, I'm like, we have got health all wrong. And I just so grateful, you know, again, the, the books you've put out into the world uh, have transformed the paradigm. You know, you're, you're shaking the paradigm up. So I love that because the paradigm of health is not working. Uh, if it was working, we wouldn't have all the chronic diseases that we have. So I, I'm just so grateful for you. What's the next book, by the way? Do we have another book in the in, in your brain there? Well, I do, and I don't want to say the title, the working title, because I, I think it's a good title. But <laughs> uh, the question I'm asking, yeah, I'm I get answer, it. Uh, one thing we have to be mindful of, as you know, that you and I talked before we started recording, is that uh, people like you and me. And other book authors on health are no longer welcome in big media because of the influence of drug advertising and yeah. the flow of revenue. So, uh, mm. and as I mentioned to you, I had a publisher even say to me, if we can't make money publishing books on health, maybe we won't publish books on health. Well, how do we continue to get this message out through books? Well, what if we kind of give it a non-health spin? So one of the things I've been thinking mm. about is, you know, so almost all of us have lost rotary and thereby oxytocin. Does that mean the intensity mm. of love and affection today is much less than it was 50 years mm. ago or a hundred or a thousand years ago? And could this be at least part of the explanation behind the exploding divorce rate, suicide, uh, depression, mm. uh, isolation? I think I, I'm not so silly as to suggest that's a sole solution, but I think it's a big part of the solution because I see it all reversing now. I see people are telling me, ladies yeah. will come and say, you know, my husband is, is normally not very demonstrative. He's been eating the yogurt and he says to me out of the blue, hey, honey, you know, I've always liked you. I like you more now. Come here. Sit next to me, please. Wow. Or, or wow. I, ta- I yeah. introduce myself to, to strangers in line for coffee at Starbucks, something I never did before. Or I, I accept the differences of opinions. Yeah. They have a right to their opinion, and I respect it. I mean, a complete change. But is it also true for the intensity of love and affection? I think it is. Tough as hell to prove. Oh, but you can do it. I, I, I love where you're going with this. So one of the things that I did was I got the oxytocin blood and salivary levels on three indigenous populations. Mm. So I, I called Paul Zach. He's a, a faculty member at, at um, Claremont in California. And he did something crazy. He went into the deep jungles of New Guinea. And he says, the first thing that strikes you is the stink of filthy humans. But he said, they were warm, wonderful people. But he said, they were so unbathed that it took four alcohol swabs just to find a vein. Wow. So he draws their blood and runs the oxytocin level. So these are people living in the jungle. There's no antibiotics, there's no glyphosate, there's no herbicides and pesticides, and there's no stomach acid blocking drugs, none of that stuff. So presumptively untouched by Western life. Well, the problem is the methods to measure oxytocin are so wildly variable, it's hard to make sense of. So I, I was hoping to prove that primitive people have much higher levels of oxytocin than we do, but I'm not sure I can prove that. What if these kinds of superficial interactions that are popular with modern people, like Tinder, you know, back and forth and an online dating, is this a, a symptom of the distance we've drawn between each other from the loss of oxytocin? I think it is. And I, I wouldn't have said that, except that now I see all the people restoring oxytocin and what's happening to them. 
Amazing. Oh my gosh. And if you, if you can restore oxytocin in humans, which re restores love and connection and compassion, you will be even more of a hero than I already think you are. So this has been amazing. I, I, again, I just, I really appreciate the way your brain thinks. I really appreciate your work. So keep writing them. Uh, keep okay. more books is, is better for the world. So what, one last question we've been doing in this year on my podcast, I've been asking everybody if they have all my guests, if they have a gratitude practice, do you have a daily gratitude practice that you do? I should. I do not. Though I remind myself that is a really powerful practice because it seems to bring good things to you. So thank you for the reminder. But I will thank you for what you're doing. Because as, as we talked about, we live in a world where the pharmaceutical industry is so dominant that they have essentially um, uh, shut us down. That is, we can't get on morning news. We can't get on talk shows anymore. Whereas I was on numerous shows and it all stopped. Yeah. For me, it stopped with the publication of the undoctored book. But for most of us, any topic now on health and nutrition is no longer welcome. So what you're doing, the podcast world, blogs, websites, summits, all the things that you and uh, others are doing are, are so are, are 10 times more important today than it used to be. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I love that. And, you know, I'm on a mission to change the way that we approach women's health in, in our healthcare care world, but we're not going to do it through the doctors. We're going to do it through the women the individually. And, and what you just talked about today is key. I can't wait to integrate this into my fasting protocols for women. So thank you again. This was, this was, this is the highlight of my week. So where do people find you? For sure. They got to go buy your book, but where else can they find you? Right. So the super gut book available everywhere. And my kind of central site is drdavisinfinitehealth.com. There's a blog with 2000 articles on it. There's a very busy forum, uh, discussion forum with several hundred thousand mm -hmm. um, posts. There's also, I have an inner circle, which is a membership site. But every once a week, we have about a 90 minute to two hour long conversation, Zoom, two way Zoom, typically 75, 80 yep. people show up at any one time. And we talk about rotary yogurt, the air device, diet, thyroid, all the stuff that's relevant to what you and I do. I love it. I love it. Well, keep keep writing books, keep educating us all. And again, thank you so much. This is so helpful. And I can't wait to get it out into the world. So appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. I love bringing thoughtful discussions about all things health to you. If you enjoyed it, we'd love to know about it. So please leave us a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what your biggest takeaway is.